Would you like to publicly express your love and passion for cinema, but such displays are not welcome at work? Do you dream of wearing a t-shirt with Jet from Gladiators on it, but you can't find one in the Fruit de Loom collection? Have you always wanted to plaster your bag with stickers of your favourite directors, but you feel like you're a little bit too old? Then go to devlindoesdrawing.com where you can buy the memories of your favourite films and the filmmakers that made them. Posters, t-shirts, and mugs. So don't let life pass you by. Go to devlindoesdrawing.com for the memories of a lifetime. Delivery guaranteed in two weeks. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. I'm one of the hosts, Gally, and today we're launching a new series for the show called The Open Slate, where we speak to film and television professionals about their careers, how they got into the industry, and uncover any advice they might have for those wanting to pursue a career in film and television. Our first guest is no stranger to the show. It's fellow Rewinder, Patrick Wagger. Hello, Patrick. Hello, and welcome to my chat. No, um... How long did it take you to come up with Open Slate? Too long. You don't want, listeners, you don't want to know the, <laughs> the, the, the laundry list of names that didn't make it, but just know that one of them was climbing the ladder, which uh, thankfully <laughs> went into the bin. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, yeah, I hope I can give you some nuggets here and give some people some good advice and an idea of what I do. Um, to, I guess... I'm Patrick. I am a second assistant director. Uh, I specialise in crowd, um, supporting artists, commonly known as extras, but we don't like that term. We like supporting artists, as do the artists themselves, uh, or essays for short. I've heard, but I don't. I don't really like that term. Um, if you were to look online at what is an assistant director, uh, you'll get some definitions. But I'm just going to try and off the cuff it. Here, and so, sometimes I tell people, you know, like a, the first assistant director sometimes is the first credit you see on a Hollywood film, you know, at the end credits, first assistant director, second assistant director, and they are the first is essentially the director's right hand person who runs the floor, runs the set, um, is the timekeeper, the scheduler, uh, making sure they're all on track and the go between to all departments for the director to help there. And I am. Um, you kind of have like a, a, a PA, uh, then a third, a second, first. That's the, the ladder. And I'm a second now. It's taken a few years to get there. But um, the, you get a key second assistant director or AD who, you know, do the call sheets and write that day to day, what's happening the next day and make sure that's all on track while they first can concentrate on today. And they'll um, liaise very closely with the actors and what time they're in and get through costume and makeup and on set on time, organise their transport, their timesheets, all of that. And I do that, but with all the sporting artists or the background. Here's the definition I quite like because it was short and sweet on screenskills.com. Uh, crowd ADs coordinate large crowds of extras, sporting artists, for the background of scenes, helping to organise the transport and logistics of shooting with a crowd. Um, I like to think we do more than that. Um, you know, I have to do a budget, I have to pay them, cost reports, I have to cast them in, um, you know, let's say you've got a scene in a church for a funeral, I've got to 
pick the right people and I may have to pick the, the grieving mum and dad sometimes, which I have done. Uh, you have to get them approved by the director or by the studio, depending on the project. And I'll organise their calendars, their availability, get them booked in, the fittings, transport, yeah, get them on day to day, crew up, make sure I've got the right amount of people for the right uh, coverage of however many artists we've got that day. And um, put them on camera, make sure they look ace and they know what they're doing and uh, bring the scenes alive. Patrick, where can we see some of these crowds that you've worked on? Have you got uh, have you, what, what are some of the credits that um, we might recognise your work? Some of my credits, uh, when I started, I worked on Sherlock Series 3 and Avengers Age of Ultron. And that was more PA role and looking after the actors there. But then if you want to see my crowd work, you'll see that on Aladdin, uh, TV series Hannah. Uh, this is going to hurt, which is quite a popular TV series. It was pretty good, actually. Um, Edge of Tomorrow, I helped with things on there, but that was a low level. But for booking things up and coming, um, Snow White in a year or so, I hope. There's, there's a few little bits for you. Any of them, I, I hope you've, of course, you've watched all of them. Haven't you? Oh, yeah, of course. I went to see Aladdin and uh, <laughs> I thought I'd told this story to you. I uh, I took a picture of your credit, and Alyosha uh, <laughs> came over and said, "Oi, no phones." <laughs> what? I was like, "What? It's the credits. I'm not recording the whole fucking one. Yeah. I'm on my own in like a in the middle of midweek in an afternoon show in at the View, watching Aladdin on my own. And you think I'm recording? You, you left on the my flash on, didn't you? Phone? Yeah. Well, there you go. I just took a picture of it so I could say, "Hey, Patrick, I've just watched Aladdin. It wasn't very good." But um, your work was fantastic, so there you go. I was quite happy with the film. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> Each to their own. That's for that's for another episode. No, thanks for clearing up your main responsibilities and some of your some of your credits. I guess what I'm interested in, in particular, is is kind of like your journey to this point. I want to go back to like how did it start? How did you get into this particular line of work? you know, specifically going through the AD ladder. Was that always the plan? No, God, no. Come on, we went to uni together. You know, that wasn't the plan. It's funny. We were grouped together because our surnames are in the same bracket in the alphabet. <laughs> Mine's a W, his is a V. So that was why we became friends. Um, I think that's why I think Selway. I don't know how Devlin got involved in that up in the Ds, but um, there you go. I'm glad he crossed our paths. I think it's because we all went to um, the Favisham. Um, <laughs> it I, I wanted to be a director um and it was uh, you know at, at school at a level type thing that's where i tried to hone my interest and i did a lot of photography and i thought oh i'd like to be a, a cinematographer i'd like to do photography and i looked at courses that and and then i just i wanted to be a director i wanted to learn how what a director because you grow up and i always figure the director was the most important name. Spielberg was, you know, a hero. And it was Spielberg films or Joe Dante films or, and even David Fincher films became a thing when I was in my later teens. And those names were, were big and that's what I wanted to do. And I just made a load of films in A-level. Not, I'll I take that, take, don't take that with a pinch of salt. You know, like little arty things for my art degree just to get a camera, you know, uh and, and film something get your hands on something 
And so I took that to uni. I chose, I remember definitely picking Leeds Met because it was more practical based in theory. Leeds Metropolitan now. Well, Leeds, Leeds Beckett. Beckett. Yeah. yeah. And what was it called? It was um, film and TV production? Was that? Yeah, yeah. The initial two years were. And I suppose at uni, it was weird. Very quickly caught my eye the producing module, you know, and it was that idea of having an eye, uh, an eye on everything, all aspects and being involved that way. Um, something about that felt right to me that I wanted to be over everything and, and I like organising. I always liked organising nights out and football matches at home and things like that. Um, and then uh, that definitely took my interest. And I think that gets into a, a a little bit of a path into being an assistant director. But it, we didn't really know what an, an AD was at uni, did we? It, it's funny. Um, a first AD can be an executive producer. You know, like the, the, the more you go up, it's it's kind of a crazy role with a lot of responsibility, especially for um, delivering a film on time as well as the director. You've got to schedule it correctly and and, and organise a team. I find it interesting because you were clearly going down a more... Uh, and this is not to say that uh, what you do isn't creative, but let's say pure creativity, i.e. Mm -hmm. uh, the vision. I find that interesting, that, that shift in mentality. I think at the time, you know, I wasn't really, it's weird, you're not really aware of what a producer is or a good one. You, you, Kathleen Kennedy, you see her name everywhere, and David Putnam is a very famous name. But, I, you know, there's a really good series on Paramount Plus at the minute called The Offer, and it's about the producer of um, The Godfather. And it's quite an interesting insight to what a producer does, and especially at that time. Things have changed drastically, of course. But um, I recommend that. And it, it's funny, when you're younger, or at the time for me, certainly just didn't understand what a lot of things do. And uni helped to a certain degree. I think it was admin at... Uh, Leeds met at the time they had um, connections to Emmerdale good old Emmerdale farm and got me some work experience at the end of our degree so of course I took it and I wanted to do as much as I can I did two weeks unpaid on that it's, it's funny isn't it you're thrown in as Emmerdale as a third AD at the time which you're definitely not if you start on work experience you're a PA or a commonly common phrase runner which we, we don't really like i don't like the word runner but some people do and i mean you're you're going to be familiar with this so this is going to be good to talk about it together but you're thrown into it completely and it's a whole different ball game there were short films i did at uni with the tutors and uh, uh yorkshire film screen films. screen yorkshire thank you very much screen yorkshire shorts but going on to Demo, that was a whole different... Everyone clearly knew what they were doing. <laughs> Everyone clearly knew their role. And then you turn up. Well, I turned up. And um, I remember my first day. Because, you, you know, I wanted on-set experience. I wanted to be on a set. You know, my attraction to, to learning what filmmaking is. It's, it's not necessarily, you know, producer back in an office or a production team. It wasn't that at the time. It was to be hands-on. And um, but I remember my first day and getting... Yeah, I'm going to say it, just a bit of a bollocking because I didn't put a tea table up. And I remember saying, I, I, I didn't know that's part of my fucking job. Like, <laughs> why do I have to do the tea table and the water? Like, that's my job role. Yeah, so get get it done. Like, okay, well, now I know that. 
now I can do that. Okay, fine. Who do I talk to? I mean, you know, you have to scramble and figure things out very quickly. But that I, I will ne- that's my first anisette. And that's a lesson I will never forget because I don't want anyone to feel like that on their first day on anything. Mm. And I've never forgot that. Um, I remember, I'm jumping ahead really quickly here. Sorry, I remember um, my good friend Kat Lane. She, she's a producer of uh, independent things. She lives in Cornwall now. She was PA to a producer on um, uh, Man From Uncle. And the producer said, can you get her in as your crowd AD for a day? Just get some work. She wants to be on the set and figure things out. Said, yeah, of course. And on, I didn't realize, you know, naivety. She didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. Um, when I gave her her radio, like his radio, I remember the look in her face of sheer terror at this thing in her hand. I was like, have you, have you ever used one of these? No. Right. Okay. Well, let's do a tutorial. Let's just quickly learn how it's used. Mm. Whereas I know that not everyone is so giving with that time and throwing a radio. And the expectation is that everyone knows what they're doing. It's a, it's a weird thing. Is it through osmosis then? Is that is that the kind of, like literally look, listen, learn, ask questions, try and be, but try and ask questions in a way that is is not intrusive, find your moments, that kind of thing. Is that what people need to expect when they're first, starting it's, it's a tough one it's a tough one to answer as well because um even in the 14 13 years i've been doing this i think things have changed exponentially um it's how do i say this i think feeling like you know, resentful um i think it's a bit easier now i think that the world's changed especially the industry for the better that there are internships and uh, traineeships um, uh, and there's a there's a company called call time company this will go into my advice for people starting out and they started i don't know like 10 years ago or something you know like two three years just after i kind of started and they are a kind of booking agency for young assistant directors but they also did COVID marshals and location marshals and lock-off PAs and ADs. And they've got a, a brilliant book now of people um, who I ring them up and I say, hey, I need two people at this skill set for this week, or I need one person at this skill set for six months, potentially, on a job. And that they, they're doing really great stuff that they do open days and talks. Uh, I've done a talk with them to to people starting out to say, here's what you should expect and here's how you should conduct yourself and start out. Um, and that wasn't available when you and I graduated. No. And it's, no. it's um, I'd have, it'd have been amazing if it was, and it's made things a lot easier. I, I still think your point is valid that there is a lot of keep up. And I say that as politely as I can, because making filmmaking, television, making all of it, it's so time precious like it's you've no idea how fast a day can go by until you're on a set like it's quick decisions are being made so quickly and it's now 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 go 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 um on i'd say a normal day there are quieter days of course sometimes i dream of just the crave having two people in a room at a table talking to each other like ah just let them film that for the day i can catch up on some paperwork <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> those kind of things but 
I, I, did you feel the same way when you started Emida? Yeah, I think um, it, it, it's encouraging to hear that the that things have moved on and there's more formal routes as far as just development because, um, you know, certainly from my experience, I got offered work after the, the unpaid two weeks, but I was with somebody who started the exact same day that I started and they didn't. Um, and at the time, I didn't realize why I got offered a, keep, a kind of rolling on. contract and the, the other individual didn't. And I think it was because just this is not something that I'd ever really thought about, but it, like emotional intelligence. I felt like I, I probably displayed more, as in it wasn't to do with work or or graft, or anything like that. I wasn't running around like a headless chicken. Let's not sugarcoat it, Gally. It's cutthroat industry. Yeah, it it's a cutthroat industry. Um, sometimes your face fits. Other times it's about personalities. And, and, and essentially, that was my experience, that, that really the, the, the next job that you got was all about forging relationships on the job that you were on. And, uh, and you needed to just... It's almost like being performative the whole time. You can be yourself, especially when you're starting up. You can obviously you've got your own personality, but just be conscious to not <laughs> that where you are in the pecking order, and that the person above you or the person that's going to look for support will ring the people that they like. Um, now, like is not just someone who can get the job done, but somebody that they can work with. So. And I think that was where I probably recognised that earlier. There's a degree of chance there, isn't there? Gally, I've had to let people go and not invite them back because we recognise that they're not a good fit from for the team. Um, there's some nepotism. There's some lack of professionalism on set. And it's, you know, like, thank you, don't come back in tomorrow. Um, obviously not quite. So, uh, you know, you clear it with HR. Uh, that kind of deal but it's and i've seen things that are it it, it, you know when someone's not working out Mm. i've trialed people and it's i have ended up saying to them i think you need to go smaller scale and work your way up this may be too big for you or or you may not be ready for this Mm. And, and one of the things that i've always seen a problem with with people and you and I, we, we, I remember us understanding this very early on, is the hours, the hours it takes each day. Usually a film day, a scheduled day is based on a 12-hour day. Let's say that's the normal practice. But that 12 hours, you know, you've got to get there. You've got to get the actors ready. You've got to get the supporting artists ready. You've got to pack down. You've got to prep. You've got to get to location. All of this, uh, 12 hours quickly becomes... 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 hours, days, you know. And I think sometimes there's a mindset there for people that you've got you to put their hours in. You've got to be prepared for that and mentally understand that that's what it's going to be. And that maybe that person that was with you didn't like the hours and made it known. I remember on Emmerdale, there was um, someone was fired on there because they found them asleep in one of the beds in one of the sets. Yikes. And, you know, taking a nap and, you know. That's a big no-no, even on Emmerdale. They're, they're not very friendly as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they are quite friendly. But I think there's a, 
just to add to all of this as well and what that person may have succumbed to is you've got to you've got to be really good at communicating as an ad that's the whole purpose of the job really you are in the middle of a spider web with all the departments reaching out from it and you're talking to everyone i work very closely with the costume department and the hair and makeup departments and my relationship with them is so important I've got to be able to communicate with them well and help them and collaborate with them, working very closely uh, together to, you know, it it's for, for the greater good. <laughs> um, and some people may not be, have the, that, that good uh, people skills or are personable or patient and professional, um, all the P's there for you. Um, so I think that's uh, another really important thing to to note with this job. Right, Patrick, it's time to hear some important messages. Listeners, we'll be right back. Young people from around the globe are joining today to discuss movies. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. (laughs) They're doing their part. Are you? Join Valverde Broadcasting and have your say. Remember, subscription guarantees citizenship. Would you like to know more? They have the knowledge. They have the jokes. We need subscribers. Subscribers like Ted Maul and Sidney Cook. Remember... Subscribing guarantees citizenship. Go onto YouTube and search Valverde Broadcasting. Never pass up a good thing. So with all of those challenges ahead of you, when is it that you felt on your journey that you can actually make a real living out of this. Things are good now. You get um, paid traineeships, which is paid work experience. I've um, had a few of, a few people, which has been really good. But funny, like, Emmerdale was 2008, 2009. Um, and finding work after that, you know, I, um, I did a couple of weeks with Luke Salway as a camera trainee on Robin Hood in 2010. Because again, friend of the show, Luke Salway, he rang. Um, you know that they, they were in paid positions, and then I spent like that. Apart from that, I'd had to move back home to mum and dad's to because I couldn't afford the rent anymore. Um, I worked in a, a Levi's shop, and I spend a lot of time. You know, I applied for the NFTS. Didn't get it. I wrote to studios. I went to London for a day and I letter dropped around Soho post production houses. I didn't get any. I got a few letters back saying thank you, but nothing available at the minute. The BBFC, I dropped a letter of them because I thought that would be a cool job. And um, I really struggled. Uh, I've still got my Warner Brothers letter, which I, I liked. You know, I was like, oh, wow, Warner Brothers wrote to me. That's really cool, even though they're saying fuck off. Um, and all of this and i found little websites online like mandy.com 
Yeah. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I remember Mandy. At Mandy.com, I got a little job on there for a two-week feature film shooting in Birmingham. So Birmingham's not far from Leicester uh, for me. And I've got my good friend Gav lives there. And I asked him if I could crash at his mum and dad's. And he said, yeah, because he was still at his mum and dad's. Um, I, it was supposed to be unpaid as a third. <laughs> my excellent negotiation skills got them up to £50 a week. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Pro rata. <laughs> I, I hope you didn't work out how much you were getting paid an hour. I just wanted to cover some <laughs> petrol. You know, like it was just... Yeah. So I took I took holiday, paid holiday from leave. I just did the two weeks. I just needed something to help me get through it, you know. And that was an interesting film. That was... um. The first AD was a guy called John Walker, who's this notorious sporting artist who at the time had like the most appearances of any sporting artist in British history or something. I don't know how he's doing now. Um, I did that 2000 and I want to say 10, 11, maybe. And then I, um, you know, exploring local avenues because I just couldn't find anything like Emmerdale. And Emmerdale stopped ringing. Uh, they'd had enough of me. <laughs> And I ended up working at the local media centre, the Phoenix in Leicester, um, a little company called Large Scale Film Company with Steve Friendship. And his wife used to be my maths teacher, which is how I got to know him. And I spent a lot of time around there. And, and um, there was a local film. Oh, I started writing reviews for Left Line in Nottingham because I love film. And this is why we do the, the podcast, you know, like to review films. And through that, I met a guy called Reese Davis and he was a local filmmaker and made this zombie film and he was doing another one. And so I helped, you know, through the interview, he asked me if I'd help. So I said, yeah, uh, helped him two, three days, which is really cool. Met Steve. Well, I ended up making films for children in schools. We, we go into the school. Um, he'd already, I, I didn't pitch anything. He'd already done it. And we'd write little scripts with the kids. We'd get them to make their own costumes and props and we'd shoot little films. And then we'd do like a red carpet day at the Phoenix and we'd show their films to the kids and the teachers. Mm. And it, was, it was pretty cool. And we did little uh, workshops for adults, like how to make films. And then <clears throat> out of the blue, um, Sarah Selway rang. And she asked me if I wanted to be a PA on Private Peaceful. Feature film adaptation of a Michael Mopago novel starring Jack O'Connell and uh, George Mackay. If any of you are ever familiar with George Mackay, he's the nicest man alive. He's fucking awesome. Um, and we spoke offline about this, but that's how I got my first actual big break. It's wow. a phone call. It was kind of like a favour to a friend, you know. Um, I moved to Ipswich for 11 weeks and I shot that. Uh, with them and I was PA to Sarah who was second AD so I'd get the actors in uh, look after the actors mainly and the director um, and that was my day-to-day -day thing locking off corners making sure no one walked into shot communicating you know like quiet please we're rolling keep everyone on track uh, held a few rehearsals and it was a good job I really enjoyed it and I learned a lot it, it it was it was one that you thrown into because it was low budget and there was two floor PAs, um, including me. So it's like crack on, and that's that's the first big break, you know. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Selway. I mean, I suppose what it's highlighting uh, in my mind is the importance of building relationships wherever you can, but maintain them. 
maintaining them is the difficult part, I think. I had a job to do for Sarah. She was essentially trialling me. And, you know, I, I, I ended up doing another four or five jobs with her. So I did something right. We had a very good working relationship. But it, it, then the Sarah thing led to, I, d- I did a day, couple of days in Great Expectations with her. And then I met Claire Glass. Claire Glass was a third, class second, who took me on to Trance. I did a week on Trance. And then she took me on to Edge of Tomorrow for six months or five months or something. And then on Edge of Tomorrow, that's where I kind of started getting involved in the, the crowd, the sporting artist, because... Mm. They needed some help. And I was like, I'll, I'll help. I'm, I'm free. They don't need me. Lock off. I can do that. Okay. Well, come in tomorrow. Help us with this. With <laughs> We had like 600, uh, 500 background. So I had to be in at like 3 a.m. And that was the earliest call I'd had at that time. Like, fuck. Okay. <laughs> right. But I was driving down from Leicester to Leavesden. So with uh, so Patrick, like, so just so we can be clear and I'm clear and the listeners are clear. So this is you working... What in London? Uh, Leavesden Studios. That's uh, Watford. Watford. Okay, just outside. And you're traveling. You're traveling from Leicester. And I suppose this this feeds into a wider question that I have. Then is how are you remaining kind of motivated through this? Because you know, obviously, you're getting like snippets, little jobs here and jobs there, and you you're you're clearly developing. You you've got that ambition and that appetite. But I mean, that's that's got to take a toll, right? Or are you just in a kind of single-minded approach at that point because you can see the gold at the end of the rainbow, which is if I get on this job, I could get the next one. Are you kind of chasing the dragon almost? Yeah, and it's the, I don't want to let go. You know, I'm in, I've got to go, I've got to crack on. I, I don't want to complain. I don't want to be a burden. I just want to work and I want to take this opportunity and I'm thankful for the opportunity and I just really wanted to go at that. That was... I think that's what really drove me. So I just found a means to how to make it work. Mm. And at the time, uh, my partner lived in Northampton and I, that was closer than Leicester. So that was like an hour and 15 drive. So I stayed with her, come down. And then I made friends with Laurie, uh, who was another AD working with me. And he was like, crash at mine. I'm like, fuck yeah, he's 15 minutes away. I'll crash there. I can get some real sleep now. Um, these are back in the days when you had to write the paper chits for all the background as well. So I was handwriting 500 chits a day with a uh, my friend, Grace McInnes, um, which is more knackering than it sounds. Uh, <laughs> um, and it, it is that it's um, the fear of not making it work, the fear of like losing an opportunity and um, putting my all into it. Really? It's yeah. It's just something I, I'm like, right, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of there now. I've got foot in the door. How do I make this work? And the big thing trying to make it work was I lived in Leicester. Can't always stay at people's houses. I can't like afford to live in London yet because unfortunately in the industry, even now, you know, I, I uh, contract work, let's say, and temp work or daily work. So I might work a week and then have two weeks off. I might come in for a day that they need me, but then I'd have three days off and come back in for it. And juggling that is was quite difficult at the time. I, I ended up doing like a kind of a music video in London after Edge of Tomorrow, and I slept on Devlin's uh, three-foot sofa, if you remember that bad boy. Oh, I do remember that. <laughs> when music video, I mean, I was working like six to 11. You know, it was crazy hours. I did that for a couple of days. Um, I think I stayed with Dev a few times. 
but I made a friend um, private peaceful who was a location assistant, no unit manager, excuse me, uh, Robbie Tarrant, who I'm really good friends with today. And he he's managing studios now, which is really great. But I stay with him and his family because we got friendly and I'm like, okay, I need some help. I ended up paying them a little bit of rent. And I went on to call the midwife for like, quite well, was pretty solid work that one. And it was still like a 50 minute drive from Robbie's, but it was better than the like two hour drive, Leicester. Whatever. So those sacrifices and those commitments, is it eventually all roads do lead to having to get residency? Yeah, yeah. In the city. When I was doing that for kind of two years, really. But of that two years, you know, there was 11 weeks in Ipswich where they put me up in a student dorm accommodation. And then, you know, I was couch sitting, couch sitting, couch surfing. I, I, 18 months, I reckon. Back and forward, Leicester, back, forward, back, forward. Uh, and then Call the Midwife was like solid work. And then that led on to, I'm trying to remember. I think it might be Sherlock. Um, Edge of Tomorrow, Sherlock. And I moved to Wales for three months to do that. And I... The first from Call the Midwife took me on to Sherlock in Cardiff. So that was North London to Cardiff. And she gave me the number for the location manager at a spare room. So I ended up negotiating rent there and stayed there. And then I'd finally saved up enough. And I got a job offer for, I think it was four months, three months on something called the Bletchley Circle, um, which was 2013. and. I was like, right, I can afford down payment, like uh, a deposit for rent in London, pick an area, and I've, like, I've got a contract that's going to pay me through. It's time to make the move. And I realized then, I was like, this can work. I'm earning enough money. I'm getting the right jobs now. Um, I can, I've done, you know, balance the books, so to speak. And um, I, I wanted to move to London for a long time. It's just it's just getting there and affording it, and that that was then, Gally. That's ten years ago. It's, it's pretty insane now. Yeah, it's it's something that I think uh, any of our listeners that are either um, thinking about uh, entering the industry or just um, have never given it a second thought, but just to understand that you know these are the kind of sacrifices and these are the commitments that you have to make, especially if you're not in that privileged position of of you know, having a family home near, near our, our, you know, near our capital. It's, uh, and obviously there are, there are, there are hubs in the North that you can work from, but if you want to get, especially into those bigger productions, right, Patrick? Yeah. London's, London's obviously the, the centrifuge, but um, the industry's exploded over the last 10 years, I think. And there's a lot more, you mentioned Norfolk. I, I don't know. Manchester, there's a lot more. It's a big studio just opened up in Birmingham. Um, there's things that go on in Edinburgh, Glasgow, and Newcastle of something as well. But L- London is the hub. There's loads in Bristol and Cardiff. You know, there's lots around, and it depends what you want to work on. I forgive me, I didn't want to work on Emmerdale all the time. I wanted, I, I kind of bigger aspiration. I want to talk on film. I grew up mm. loving films and films was a big draw for me and trying to get on a film working on edge of tomorrow, Tom Cruise telling me not to drink a can of Coke because it, it, it's bad for your body. You know, like that was fucking awesome. 
<laughs> you don't want to be putting that stuff in your body. Drink some Fiji water. All right, Tom. Thanks, mate. It, you know, and working on a film, it and and the the jump between the two is quite. It, it can be massive. You go from shooting TV. I don't even remember on Emmerdale, especially. We, we'd shoot three episodes a day, or scenes from three episodes a day. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and pages and pages, ten, twenty pages. You can do an eighth of a page on a film a day. You know, action set piece or something. I've been on second units on Avengers where we did, uh, you know, like a, a woman being saved from a car from Captain America. That's that one shot. You do it all day. Safety measures, rigs, lighting. It's all bigger. And I, I prefer working on film from a financial point of view. And, and don't get me wrong, not from what I get paid, but what it, the job can afford you to do. And you can spend more on, on supporting artists. You can have better facilities and spend more money on that. And the studio is kind of better well catered. And I suppose selfishly as well, you're, you're developing your, your own skills and your own experiences, yeah. right? You're doing yeah. things that you are out with the norm when you're yeah. working on serialized television or, mm-hmm. um, or soaps. Yeah. And, and crowd. And Sarah got me on as her assistant with crowd on Man From Uncle and stuff. And you very quickly, I very quickly started to love the almost independent nature of our own department. That was our thing, getting those people ready and picking faces and auditioning people and telling them what to do and dressing them in the background, making them move. And you go there and you bite that and talk to them and eat this stuff and drink that and have a conversation. But when that conversation, they will laugh at this point, but, you know, mime, do it miming, obviously. And then go over there and do that, you know, and watching it work and keeping an eye on the continuity. It's, it's hard, but it's very rewarding for me. It's great. And I'm saying this now and I'm not really on the set much anymore i'm more behind the scenes and uh preparing and and getting the next day ready but it's i i definitely enjoy that creativity i i think um another bit of advice to people is i definitely don't regret working in tv i think that's made me a better ad i prefer i think it's better to have experience in tv and film because you the skills are interchangeable certainly but um if you if you meet people that just work in a studio set studio lot all the time if they go onto a low budget tv thing running around northwest london and and asking locations to literally pick up some human shit out of the shop i don't think they're prepared for that kind of thing and it's a bit different that happened yeah i know you're out there I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of podcasts. You're afraid of change. I know the future. I came here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how to begin. I'm going to ask you to get your phone. And then I'm going to show you how to access the best movie podcast out there. I'm going to show you a movie podcast without flaws. A movie podcast without rules and controls without borders or boundaries. A movie podcast where anything is possible. Where you go from there is a choice I leave to you. So go check out Verbal Diorama, the movie podcast that explores the movies you know and the movies you don't, with interesting stories of all the categories. 
Available now from wherever you get your podcasts. Just follow the link below in the show notes. And Trinity, I told you she was the one. With where you started and, and where you are now, what's the next step for you? Where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, God, the worst question. <laughs> You're hitting this question at a bad time as well, because obviously we're all aware of the SAG strike going on at the minute. And that, of course, means I don't have a job right now. I was on uh, what was, I was on a film that we had like six days left and we've been cut short and we still owe those six days. And it's, it's a shame. I agree with the strike. It's just a shame of the knock-on with everything. I think some important issues with AI. But I um, I'm enjoying my development specializing as a crowd second it's um i know a lot of ad's who they'll do it once and it's not for them or you know they'll they'll be in a different role and they'll have been stepped up to trial it uh and it's not quite their cup of tea some people want to be on the floor i i want to be a key second ad uh for longer term i've done cover work here and there's a key second i've done two weeks here i've done prep here i've, I've replaced someone there for, for this and that without doing a full job and <clears throat> some of that was my own decision some of that is not uh i just haven't got a job doing it but i'd like to work on that a bit more uh work on the the kind of organization closer to the first doing the call sheet which is a very important integral part of the day and I, I think my goals are a bit more short term than, than long term from, mm. from that. And I want to develop that way and see. I've done some firsting, some um, B units, some second unit splinters, uh, some independent films recently and firsting stuff. And I've really enjoyed that. But I think that's quite easy for me to say, jumping in and helping for a day rather than scheduling, breaking down a script, planning, because that's first job's a bit more fuller than that that i've not really been uh from start to finish either but mm, i mean i'm enjoying the department um don't get me wrong there's, there's jobs I, I didn't enjoy but overall um that were very challenging but i i'm really enjoying my job role and uh i i just want to be better you know i just want to develop and do more jobs and do more job roles patrick you mentioned stepping up how does that work you know, because again, yeah. for many people who work in, in, in different industries, there is normally some form of like reporting process or some kind of performance related management that means that when you are ready or deemed ready, you then are promoted. Is it a similar thing in the industry? Is it is it a case of somebody, you know, I'm not going to get all the Sopranos, but is someone vouching for you? And then that's how you, is that how you step up? Yes. To, to, quickly answer it's um i think uh some people know when they're ready and they'll inquire about it there, there came a point where i think it was man from uncle where it was right patrick you feel ready to step up to to be a third do a little bit more responsibility and to just take charge a bit more um because i don't know the development comes that way uh it's hard to to remember it exactly but with people i know that i've employed you do start to recognize their ability 
and their work and think, right, they're they're no longer, this is going to sound kind of mad. Like when I was a PA, you know, I do tea and coffee runs and water runs and I'd I'd get food for people and I'd, I'd do that a lot. That was part of the job. And there's here's a point with some people who are like, right, stop doing that because I want you to concentrate on this now. So that's no longer part of your, you know, like it's almost like you're better than that now because you've developed, you've earned your stripes. If you want to go yeah. to Sopranos again and you recognize that, right, I'm going to get someone else to do that now because they're not ready to do what I want you to do. Mm. And for like me or man from uncle and Sarah, it was, she'd leave me to sign everyone in like not big days, not like a hundred crowd but let's say 20 you do that i need to go i need to have a meeting about this scene um, and prep this and what's needed so i'm going to leave you with that and that's the third job you know i'm signing people in responsible for their time sheets and their sign out and their money and uh, and briefing them telling them what they do day to day and you, you do start to recognize that in people it becomes apparent you see how comfortable and how able they are on set uh, how they hold themselves, how they communicate, especially, and you know, like ticking all the boxes, not not leaving anything, not um, not fucking up, not not making silly little mistakes, or forgetting to tell costume that these three ballerinas are wrapped now and they need de-rigging, little things like that. Yeah, there's a there is a pathway. It's just yeah. that that you kind of carve it out yourself, and as you naturally develop. Yeah, and I think. Once you get that credit as well, it becomes creditable and that can follow on. Look, look I thirded on this. I, I want to, I don't want to PA. I want to third on that now. Or, and to, to go from that to second, it was the first AD asked me if I felt like I was ready to do it to cover Sarah because she went to have a baby. So when she left the project, she said to me, I want you to do it. The first said to me, are you ready? In a kind of semi-interview because it's a bigger, it's a much bigger position. And I was like, yeah, I can, I can do it. Yeah. I know the job inside out. I know the process now. I know the agencies. I, I can do it. And I suppose them trusting and believing in me, they were like, yeah, okay, you can do it for, I think, I think it was only like two weeks or three weeks or something. And then the reshoots, but it's, there's a trust. There's, um, I don't, I don't know how much of it is also like trial and error. You know, like this is, here's the thing, Gally, you're not really trained. You just, you just learn on the job. Mm. You pick it all up. You read the paperwork in front of you, you and you, you absorb it or you watch people working, you absorb it because mm. they don't have time. Or I found a lot of time. Sarah was very good to me and she'd sit me down and say, right, get your head around this, you know, and loop me into all the emails. Not everyone did that. And it, I think it's different for different people, but how do people step up? So, I, I mean, I know some people who just step themselves up and said, right, I'm no longer this, I'm that. Or, I, you know, and it, it's become uh, a little, I was never that brash. I was offered, I was offered um, Peaky Blinders as key second, I think third series or something. And I had no qualms in saying, I don't think I'm ready for this, Mark. Mark's the first. Uh, I've not key seconded yet. And you've got Tom Hardy, you've got Killy Murphy, you know, you've got all these characters here because I'd have a lot to do with them. He's like, I'll do it if you trust me, but I just want to say I might need a little bit of guidance 
mm. with a few things that I don't know. And they took that on board and the producers said, no, he's not experienced enough, which I think is very fair, I, I think. But in a way there, Patrick, you're protecting your reputation going forward, I'm right? also protecting the production so that there's no big mistakes made. And they Of course, of like, course. But I'm just thinking for you... And for anybody stepping into this industry, you're a contractor, really, aren't you? Yeah. You're, you're a hired gun, so therefore your <laughs> reputation is important and keeping that intact. So there is a danger sometimes of, of being overly ambitious and maybe, as you say, um, a bit of brashness and a little bit of uh, bravado goes some way. But if you, if you only um, rely on that, then you might get burnt when, when that gets ex- exposed. As it will, because yeah, yeah, of course, things happen, right? Mistakes are made. I make mistakes now, and I've and the job. I think I know what I'm doing, but um, you, it's how you resolve them, I suppose. Uh, but to talk on like promotional side of things, I, I've worked on uh, one, two, four Guy Ritchie films now, five actually. Um, Man from Uncle, King Arthur, Aladdin, Wrath of Man, and I just worked on. Um, Ministry of Unjustly Warfare for a little bit as well. And that that has been my progress. That was PA to third, to crowd second, to floor second, which we've not spoken about. But on Wrath of Man, Barney Hughes, um, Lester Boy as well. He's um, part of Guy's team. I, I spoke about Max Keane on the Prometheus episode, who's Guy's preferred first AD. He's excellent. And, you know, he keeps keep hiring me i must be doing something right and they asked me for these roles and barney asked me to floor second which is kind of uh in its basic form shadowing the first and being next to the first and help running the floor i ended up taking splinter unit off and shooting things without guy you know like go go, go shoot this for me i need this like, okay so you but you know the production you know the script at that point you know the actors and the style and everything and the and the crew so you go and do it you mm. know and it's a it was a really interesting that's a really interesting way to see my progression with that because there's shots in that film where i'm like i did that i did that's, that that's good. <laughs> i, I friend that up. i offered that up to guy and he liked it and he chose to keep it in the film that's fucking awesome well patrick um we're gonna wrap this up but before before we end this chat you know, what, what one bit of advice would you give yourself if you were starting all over again, which in turn is advice to anybody who is starting? You see what I did there? This is, this is a hard question. What advice? It's weird. Do I just say, I'd do it all over again? Uh, won't change a thing. I don't know. I think I'd, in the earlier years, I'd say, um, be prepared to not work. I think that's a big thing. And I think that's very, um, a la mode at the minute isn't it with people not working i think there's a whole bit of a generation of pas right now who i know who weren't prepared for this and they were happily working along and this is their breadwinner but i'd be prepared to understand the workflow um that would have helped me out at the beginning to save money i had a i had a dry patch in 2016 as well and I'd learned my lesson in 2011 or 12 or 13, whatever, to be prepared more then, which was great. And also just, I I think is just trust my gut a bit more. I was a bit trepidatious <clears throat> about things 
back then and I wish I'd taken more opportunities. I wish, um, it's a weird bit of advice here and it's not great in one respect, but say yes to everything. If you've got to say yes to offering, accepting a job. Um, I'm, I'm not saying like a, in a step up and, and roll or anything, if you're not prepared for that, you don't do it. But for me, I wish I'd said yes to a lot more jobs because job A, I was already on and I said no to job B, but job A fell through. I had a lot yeah. of that come through and that's happened to me a lot. And I've learned to just say yes to everything, keep my options open because unfortunately with scheduling and look at us now in the pandemic, things can change. And if I had said yes to a job during the pandemic, I might've been furloughed on a contract, but I said no. And I lost the other job that was dailies. I didn't get the contract job and I missed out things there and it, little things like that but also just advice is pay attention keep in love with it because i'm in love with films and everything and, and filmmaking and the practice and you, you've got to stay hungry and foolish and in love with it because if you don't and you start resenting and and it can eat into you it can eat into your attitude and how you are perceived and how you put yourself out there. I know this because I did this um, mm. as recently as last year. And then I needed a break and I went on to another job and I fucking fell in love with it all over again. And I had a much better time because I relaxed. I wasn't so uptight and it was a lot better for me. Well, Patrick, that leads me to say thank you very much for your candor. I really enjoyed that. Uh, and I, I hope listeners, you enjoyed that and you got something from it. I certainly did. Um, no, all it, all it leads me to say is say, thank you, Patrick. First one of many of these listeners. Um, and you never know, Patrick might be in the, uh, you can't see what I'm doing here, but I'm doing the Brent fingers might be in the hot seat, uh, <laughs> doing the interviews. Thank you listeners. As always, if you like what we do, then please like, share, subscribe, spread the gospel. Obviously, this is slightly different. However, it's all biblical. Uh, ask questions. I, I'd like to, if you've got questions from this, I'd love to answer them. Please, thank you. What I will also do as well is uh, some of the websites that uh, Patrick mentioned, maybe not mandy.com, um, we'll put in the show notes as well. Hey, um, people get work from it. Yeah, they get 50 quid a week. Yeah. <laughs> 50 quid a week. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll put them in the, in the show notes for this episode. And yeah, if you do have any questions for Patrick, um, or if there are specific areas uh, or specific roles that you'd be interested in, in in hearing from somebody who's currently doing it, then do let us know. You can contact us via Twitter or Gmail um, or Facebook, all of which are in the show notes, and we will do our best to find somebody who can uh, provide that insight. I'm just going to say my goodbye, Gammy, by asking the audience, what is a honey wagon? And I hope to see their replies on Twitter or wherever soon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Patrick. And thanks very much, listeners. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. <laughs>